that's what's going to keep you in this business. And I don't think technology can very easily replace is being that true advisor and guide. Welcome to the Lensetter Show, the show that blends the art of sales, the science of success, and the strategies of real experts in the mortgage and sales industries to help you grow your client base, increase your revenue, and get in control of your life. I'm your host, Preston Schmidley. Kick back, enjoy the episode, and don't forget to subscribe. What's going on, Lensetters? Thank you for joining this episode of the Lensetter Show. I'm your host, Preston Schmidley, and I'm here today joined by an awesome guest, uh, a friend and an advocate of the broker world, Evan Wade of Epic OS. Uh, and we're going to talk about a lot of cool stuff today. But um, to, to, let the, uh, to let our audience kind of uh, marinate and, and get an idea for who you are, Evan, why don't you talk about your story through the mortgage industry and how you, you know, you've kind of gone from the origination side to now you're on the technology side supporting brokers so I wanted to kind of just get them up to speed on your story and then diving into more specifics about the technology that you've created. Yeah. So, um, first of all, thanks for having me, uh, honor, honor to be on the uh, podcast. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah. So as far as the mortgage industry goes specifically, uh, I started out in retail banking. I was hired as a part-time seasonal teller. Um, when I was 19 years old, wanted a good job to put on my resume. Everybody works in restaurants. I got, you know, I already learned my, my hustle and, yeah. and all of that, uh, you know, from four or five years of working in restaurants. So, um, you know, I just wanted a better job to kind of polish up my resume yeah. at the time. I did planning on going to college, all of that stuff. Um, and, uh, quickly started getting promoted at the bank, you know, uh, the uh, promoting me to custom service representative. That's how I first learned about the mortgage business. Um, this was in 2009. So it was kind of the first refi boom was about to start hitting after the financial crisis. And uh, the bank I was working for didn't have a big enough law officer sales force. And they had recently uh, merged. We were, uh, my, the bank I worked for was Commerce Bank, it was acquired by TD. Um, which everybody's heard of, you know, GE Meritrader, if you're yeah. on the East Coast, you've heard of GE Bank. Um, so all of that was all kind of happening at the same time. And they were like, all right, we know we want to do a ton of mortgages. So how, what's the best way to do that? And they were like, well, just, we have this genius idea of letting everybody, you know, customer service reps in the branch do mortgages. So <laughs> as I always say, anybody in the mortgage, in the mortgage industry can you know, immediately think it's a terrible idea. And it was, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it was a great opportunity for me because I just had like a instant attraction with lending and mortgages specifically, nobody in my region of branches around me in, in Southern New Jersey, Jersey Shore area, um, really had any knowledge of mortgages. So I just dove into it. They didn't even tell it. We did a one day class on, uh, how to take a mortgage application, diverse trade conventional. FHA, VA, and USDA. And that was it. Um, and they didn't even tell us where to find guidelines and stuff like that. And, well, you know, I didn't even know Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac existed at that point. Like we were, there's a portfolio bank. So um, I just, you know, was digging through the company internet and I happened to find all the mortgage guidelines and I printed them out and read them right. from cover to cover. Um, and that's just kind of how I'm not a natural salesperson, I'm not good at sales. But what I am good at is learning a product better than anybody else and be able to speak confidently on that. So I, I'm not very good at the bullshitting, <laughs> but I can, I can definitely, you know, tell you with confidence what I think is, you know, the, the, the right thing to do, how to structure a file and make it work. I was doing calculating DTI by hand. Like I didn't, they didn't even get access to an LOS. So I knew what all, I could get access to portions of the credit report. So I would, you know, literally write down all of their liabilities and their income and like, okay, which one of these can I scratch off to get the DTI to work? Well, <laughs> literally got a notepad. Um, so that's kind of how I got introduced to the mortgage business. And, um, you know, I got really frustrated with the bank. After being promoted to assistant manager, I felt like I was kind of hitting that glass ceiling. Uh, I wanted to get out of the branches, couldn't get out of the branch. So I just quit on a whim. Um, didn't have anything, no job lined up, anything like that. I was just driving Uber <laughs> to pay the bills. 
And um, then I happened, I, I did a brief stint for a company called Corporation Service Company. A lot of people might be familiar with them because they're one of the largest registered agent uh, providers out there. So mortgage brokers out there that are licensed in multiple states know what a registered agent is. Uh, so that's where I kind of learned a lot about how to, you know, form companies, file the LLC paperwork, all, all of that kind of stuff. And I was really good at that too. Um, but it was boring, really boring. Just doing kind of warm sales, reaching out to existing customers, trying to cross sell, upsell other services to them. And in the meantime, I happened to um, stumble on uh, back then Facebook. It was called the other folder in your messages. Yeah, yeah. That's called, I think, message requests. Uh, I still don't check it very often. But uh, back then, you didn't even get like any notifications or anything. And I didn't know it existed. So I happened to stumble on it. You know, obviously, I have all these messages. One of them was from a guy, the, really the only smart thing this guy has ever done. He went on the NMLS and typed in zip codes of people who were in the NMLS database and then just cross-referenced who they could find, who he could find on Facebook and sent messages for recruiting. Hey, you want to become a loan officer? Um, and then, you know, I was like, would you hire me part-time? Because I'm still working for CSC and, and I learned how much money you could make too. I'm like, ooh, that sounds interesting. Yeah. So while I was still working for CSC, I took the 20-hour class, passed the exam, uh, and then once I got to the end of that, I was like, you know what? I was like, there's no way that I can be successful as a loan officer part-time. You know, I have to dive and first into this. So, um, in about spring of 2015 is when I, uh, quit CSC after like three months of working there. And, um, 20, 20 uh, 2015 was like my, um, uh, kind of quarter life crisis. <laughs> of uh, working for like four or five different employers in a span of 13 months. Wow. <laughs> but uh, some of it not my fault because uh, we switched companies with this branch manager. But any joke, I got sidetracked there. But uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, I dove in, um, you know, at first, about spring of 2015. Um, only lasted at the stage around six months. He was like, you're prototypical fat margin, small retail shop, like extract every dollar out of every customer you can. And just those slimy sales tactics. And I, I just don't, I don't play well with that kind of, um, you know, way of doing business. So um, I happened to also meet um, Spira Condesertius from a movement. He's a, a market leader. He was just starting up the market in, in Philadelphia. And I hit him up. I'm like, we hire me. You know, and he took a chance on me. And I was still, you know, I think I only closed like one loan at that point. So like he had no business hiring me, right. but he did. And I just kind of took the bull by the horns with what movement offered. It was, which is great for a new loan officer to be able to confidently go and say that you can get a loan done in two weeks, no problem. Um, so, um, I worked for movement for about two years, built my business as an originator, all of that. And I just learned more, you know, while I was there, I just learned more and more about the broker channel. And I knew at the back of my mind, I, I was actually going to do this before I joined movement, just like dive in and open up a broker shop. But I was like, you know what? I'm, you know, I, I still not even really confident as an originator, let alone try to start a company. So that's why I joined movement, but was still back of my mind the entire time. Like I wanted to develop technology and I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I need to start my own business at some point. That goes back to when I was like eight years old when my parents taught me what the concept of profit was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I'd do a snack stand at the end of my street trying to, you know, sell snacks and lemonade to the top drivers going up and down our street. Because <laughs> there's a gravel, gravel bit at the end of our street. So, um, uh, anywho, so uh, in the, End of 2017, I approached uh, a buddy of mine, Paul Carson, uh, that was also uh, in the Philadelphia area. I was like, you know, I'm, I was thinking about starting my own broker shop. And he was like, funny you say that, I was thinking the same thing. Um, so really quickly, like within two weeks, two, three weeks, we're like, this makes zero sense for us not to do this. Like we can make more money 
deliver a better product at a better price with the same execution that we're used to in retail because we both work for good retail shops. Um, but I wanted to provide a, a cheaper product and have that same customer experience. And I figured out if you could do that in the broker channel. So um, we had to keep it secret for about two months because Paul was in the middle of building a house and obviously his his kid is boring. He's just through it. Is you know, it threw his employer, well, so he couldn't was, tell anybody. No so it's a two week notice in this industry. So exactly, yeah. Actually, I got that courtesy from Spiro because really? you know I was lucky to work for such a. Uh, yeah, he was like, you can stay as long as you want. Um, and uh, Paul did not get that courtesy. <laughs> we're like, there. Sorry, you can't search your message. You're out. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, Spiro, like, you can stick around as long as you. Cause I told them as soon as I could because you know I. That's part of it too. Is like that honesty and not trying to do it behind somebody's back. Yeah. So literally, like the day after Paul closed on his house, I sat down with Spiro and was like, um, you know, I'm planning on doing this. I'd like to stay. You know, close out my pipeline, that kind of thing. Waiting on getting our, you know, company state license and at least Pennsylvania, because um, we need in New Jersey too, because that's where I'm from. Paul does a bunch of business there yeah. as well, but um, so. Yeah, so we started uh, Philadelphia Mortgage Rubbers in February of 2018 together, uh, and I still remain a partner there today. Um, it kind of helped drive the strategic vision of that company. Nice. Um, about six months in, I was approached to uh, of being a broker. I was approached to help with the arrive, the arrive project, which was you know a really um, exciting thing to you know, democratize technology for the broker channel because really the only thing you had, the only choice you had was Caleb's point, maybe Byte, some people went with, and then you had Lending, God, it was brand new, but like nobody was using it at that time because it was only, you know, maybe two years old at that point. I was one of the only brokers I knew of that was actually using Lending, but I, I've never used Caleb's point, believe it or not. I'm using Compass, I've used Lending. PC lender, pretty much every LOS out there. Right. <laughs> but uh, I've never, I've never used uh, Kidlet's Point, fortunately. And I did not want to start a shop using legacy 30 year old software that really hasn't changed much yeah. in that 30 well, those, years. Those systems, too, tend to be uh, a good old boys club. We, we created one uh, uh, in the software vertical, actually. It's the uh, in insurance. Uh, uh, the property and casualty insurance world's version of an LOS is is called a, a, a an AMS, an agency management system, and uh, we ended up building one that we we got to 15 million and then exited. But it was very difficult, you know. The, nice. There's there's a there's a there's a you know the the legacy tech has such a chokehold because it's it's even if you can come in, they tend to just buy out and squash you know new technology, and so. It keeps these industries in in just like it feels like a time machine technologically. Yeah, and you've kind of seen that with um, Black Knight and Ice right now are kind of the two mortgage tech giants out there, and now they're trying to merge. The Department of Justice is like, wait a minute here, like you guys are about to have this. I don't know what it would be seventy, eighty percent market share in the mortgage industry um, with basically every vertical of the software you can think of from originations, the secondary capital markets, pricing engine, point of sale, like document management, literally everything about the mortgage transaction is just control would be controlled by this one company. So they were like, and that's why um recent news, I don't think it's been 30 days yet. Um they spun off Optimal Blue and sold that to somebody else. So they're it's like, oh, well, we don't control the pricing anymore. That's going to go to a, that that be a third party FTC company. FTC scrutiny? Department of Justice, FTC. Yeah, that, that's kind of their agreement to get that merger to move forward. I don't know. I'm assuming that that is the agreement to make it yeah. happen. I don't personally think it's enough, but at least that piece yeah. of it they don't have control of anymore. And who knows who they sold it to? I don't know much about the firm they sold it to. There could be some kind of backdoor oh, friendship. Nothing surprises me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nothing surprises me in this industry. Yeah. <laughs> but what I love about Arrive is that it's still, it, you know, it's an independently owned company. The CEO is on Facebook all the time, Harish, you know, soliciting feedback, learning about what our needs are. And this platform has gone from, 
you know, not nothing and a actually a failed first version, I like to call it, when they tried, you know, taking a bunch of puzzle pieces that didn't fit together and, and try to launch some software in six months. It just failed miserably. But then Harish came in and saved the day with it with this company and and over the last now three almost three and a half years or yeah about three and a half years now um it's blown up and i think it's on its way to probably being the dominant player in the broker channel because it's just from an originator standpoint it's the best los i've ever used yeah that's awesome. um and it's it's all in one unified system and you don't have to connect all the pieces together um so you know it reduces that friction plus they've got integrations with about a dozen lenders for registration and pricing and, and all of that. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, that, that, that excited me, um, you know, kind of start going back the promise of the software like that. And I wanted to be involved. So I consulted them for a few months, really just to go to the smaller broker shops and maybe more of the mid-sized and just kind of find out what those referral based law officers want because the original team that were kind of the, the, you know, had the idea behind the platform or just those consumer direct lead generation type broker shops. And those companies are run in a completely different way than like, you know, my kind of background is that referral based self-generated loan officer, um, you know, so I guess is what, what you would call it. So, um, a lot of, and then, you know, a lot of my ideas are, we're putting the platform still there today. Believe it or not, the logo, that little arrow logo was my idea. Nice. <laughs> but just just little little things like that. Um, you know, I have, have my 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 fingers in that platform. So um I decided not to stay involved with the project and be like an official employee or anything like that. And but I I saw the promise of what that could do. So I that is why I got inspired to start my second mortgage brokerage within 12 months. Um, because I wanted to, I was like, you know what, I could build a national platform that, that really took advantage of the software, um, you know, in the very beginning and, um, you know, it worked. I, I mean, you know, I started Epic Lending in, uh, we closed our first loans in February, 2019, um, and, uh, quickly, you know, recruited, we closed, uh, we got up to, at one point we were almost 50 employees. Um, and, uh, we really proved that that software, you know, while it was very painful at the time, beta testing and new software and, and running into the, all those issues, it wound up, uh, really paying off for me to grow a pretty sizable, uh, brokerage that scaled quickly. And then I identified other problems, right. <laughs> you know, of, of, you know, the actual managing the deep business of a mortgage brokerage where, you know, you're kind of just relegated to spreadsheets to manage yeah. everything. Your all your sales letters, your commission reports, everything has to be kept in spreadsheets, and it's it's a manual process. You're double entering data everywhere. Um, you know, then you're throwing your bank account into the into the mix too, and how do you match up your transactions with your bank transactions? Yeah. Um, you know. Calculating commissions is is a huge pain. Um, there's no way to get any unless you're really good at like pivot tables and ex, you know you're kind of some kind of Excel wizard. Yeah. Um, no way to get some you know real time da data analytics and visualization. So I'm like, you know what? There's no software really? like this that exists today, and that's that part of that last kind of piece of the puzzle for a broker channel to be a broker shop for somebody to say, all right, I want to start my own company and I want as much technology as possible to cut down on all of that business management stuff. And that's, that's why I believe that the broker channel hasn't gone back to 50 plus percent market share. Like it did pre-crash is because people just want to originate, especially nowadays where, you know, you're trying to get in a, massively contracted market you're trying to increase market share the last thing you want to do is worry about how do i run a mortgage brokerage so i was like i think technology can solve for a lot of this yeah. so enter my software company that i'm uh, 
kind of soft launch. We haven't even really done any, you know, crazy marketing yet called uh, Epic OS, which I like to say it's like a business management tool slash ERP built specifically for mortgage brokers by mortgage brokers. So Epic OS, which the the British version, if you've read it, uh, I've made this mistake originally myself. Uh, I thought it was Epoch, and and so you know through conversation with Evan, um, I have been Americanized on on this. Um, but uh, but uh, uh, Epic OS w- was really using Epic Lending as uh, testing ground. You were you were kind of proving the model this this solution uh, uh, on yourself and through your experience with Epic Lending. Sounds like the 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 age old necessity is the mother of of, of all invention, right? Like you notice these pain points. So talk to us about you know what some of your just going through that journey, what were some of the pain points that you experienced that you feel like is pretty standard for most brokers to experience and and how that led you to certain solutions within Epic OS? Yeah, so for me, it kind of, it evolved into the idea of launching a software company. Like I knew I wanted to start a software company. I always have, you know, I, I started the website hosting business while I was a teenager you know, and do it back when Google ads were called Google AdSense. Yeah. Um, I, I figured that out. We did free website hosting, put ads on, on there and that's how we got revenue. So I think, I think we earned like 13, $14,000 in like ad ads or something like that. This is probably back. I think it was right around when Google was going public and, um, uh, you know, I'm like 13, 14 years old, pulling, you know, 13, 14 grand. I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was kind of my, dipping my toes in the sand of, you know, being in the technology space. And, you know, it took me a long time to really, for, and it really just kind of hit me in the face. I'm like, holy shit, like these problems can't be just mine. Um, you know, as I'm scaling. So my immediate thing that I identified that was taking the most time was payroll. Um, you know, efficiently and compliantly calculating commission for loan officers, giving loan officers visibility and trade, you know, pay transparency in an easy way. Um, we had no way to do that. So we're doing, we're literally filling this out on a Google sheet, sharing it with each loan officer individually every pay period, barely making payroll on time. And I'm paying somebody over $40,000 a year and about 40% of her job is just doing payroll. Um, so I'm like, there's gotta be a better way here. And there's only one other software platform that I know of that offers something like this in the mortgage industry. And I talked to them and and they were like, you know, we'll we'll cut you a deal. We think we might want to get in the broker channel. It'll be six hundred dollars a month. This is why I have three loan officers. I'm like, there's no there's no way in on earth any brokerage, if they're smart, are going to spend that kind of money to calculate commission. I mean, I guess if. It's better than paying somebody 40 grand. But by the time I got to that, you know, on a scale, they probably would have been charging me more than sure, 40 sure. and a year. Um, exactly. Yeah. So um, I wanted to build something that was more economical for mortgage brokers. And then I was like, all right, now this piece of the puzzle is hard, is reconciling the revenue transaction. So if you're properly, we don't have to get it too we, too much in the weeds on the cap date, but if you're doing it properly, you should be breaking out the check in, in when you receive it, because you know, you've got your revenue, you've got your past due reimbursements that you probably fronted like credit report, maybe appraisal, VOEs. If you're doing manufacturing, you know, IBT, you know, all these different um, reimbursements. You should be splitting those all out and assigning them to the proper account of QuickBooks. And it's very time consuming. And then if you want to have be able to generate a PL in QuickBooks on every single loan officer, you have to assign a class to each transaction as well and each line in there. So it's, you know, it could take you 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes just to, you know, verify with your bank transaction and split the transaction, you know identifying who it's for all that it's just a lot of data entry and very time consuming 
So what we're also working on building is integrating with QuickBooks to post those journal entries automatically. We're going to be, you know, we're going to have the loan level, um, uh, you know, kind of reconciliation for the, the loan accounting and then push it right into QuickBooks. So it's all kind of boring stuff, but it's all, it's so incredibly time consuming that now anybody that, you know, they're hiring like a, you know, compliance manager or whatever that's doing all this kind of different things. Now they're freed up to do other stuff to help the business grow. Well, you know, so. So, so okay, that, that that's a good point. So, so are you essentially saying that as, let's say somebody starts, an originator decides, you know what, I want to do this myself. I want to start my own brokerage. If they're successful at all, they grow to a point where they have a team. And when they have that team, that introduces new points of friction, which is obviously the managing the, the systems for these people. And it sounds like what you're saying is that somebody who was successful has now, ele- this is almost like being Peter principled. You've promoted yourself to the point of incompetence because now what got you here, which was being good at origination and, and recruiting or whatever, now you're stuck doing admin work. Is, is this that is the, that is the life of a broker owner unless you happen to be lucky enough to hire somebody to do all of that stuff for you those people are defined they're not cheap um so there and there's a lot of services out there that like help you with like compliance and and, and other things but they don't really go much into the weeds at least what I've found and encountered like, you know, you could pay, you know, there's licensing services out there. Yeah, you can pay somebody $700 to get your company licensed in a new state, but you're paying somebody $700 just to navigate the NMLS for right. you. They don't know, they don't know, like they can't sign all those forms for you. They can't fill out a personal financial statement if you're getting licensed in a place like Virginia that wants that. Like you're still doing all of this work. Maybe they're buying the shorty bond for you and helping you feel like I don't I don't see the value a lot of the time right. in what a lot of these companies offer and they charge a lot of money for it. Um, maybe some, but maybe one of these days somebody will tell me I'm wrong. Nobody, nobody has it. The fact that they can charge for something that you would it sounds like you're saying is uh, void of value for the most part. There's a market, obviously. I mean, if, if people, if they exist, I mean, somebody's willing to pay it. And if somebody's willing to pay it. it yeah, any- it's, it tells you, exactly. It tells you that these broker owners either don't know what they're doing or are just trying to hire somebody to, to you know, just, I guess, take the bull by the horns and, and do that for you. But like, why can't I build technology yeah. that says, all right, you know, I've got this wiki here. I, you know, I want to get licensed in Delaware. What are my expectations exactly of what I'm going to have to encounter? How do I do this? What is a registered agent? Back to what I was talking about before, because I see that all the time, like, uh, you know, it, it, in a Facebook group, like, what, what's a registered It's You know, I don't know for a registered agent. What is that? I'm like, well, so that's a fundamental aspect of forming a company in a state is you have to have a registered agent named you don't have a physical address in that state, you need to have it. Um, so um, it's just little things like that, that broker owners just, you know, like it's like you said, they're coming in as originators, not business owners. So they're just really on a whole lot of tools out there. And, and, you know, there are lenders obviously out there that we've all heard of that have these like, you know, broker or like business development, but they like, you know, I, I've been told that it's, there's no value there either. They'll give you like a real basic bullet point of like what you have to expect. Like, so <laughs> they're not getting it. They're not getting granular. It's just kind of, you know, very surface yeah, level. So, so through, through your experience doing this, Evan, um, you know, have it, you've rolled this out to brokers outside of Epic lending, right? And what has yeah, been the impact we've about a couple that you've dozen. seen uh, in those businesses? I mean, what, what what is... Yeah, so I mean, right now, since we're only doing the commission calculation and we're, you know, we're working on building all the other uh, modules now, I just bootstrap, I don't have funding. 
I have a large lender, you know, sneakily giving me money behind the scenes, doing any shady stuff, which, you know, that also happens in our industry. Um, You know, so it's, 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 you know, starting a company completely with scratch, no funding is, you know, I'm sure you growing a software company can appreciate how, how much of a struggle Mm -hmm. that can be, especially in a down market where I don't have much profits from the mortgage company to, uh, to, to bootstrap it with. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, we are just doing the commission calculation reporting right now. And for those shops that have, you know, a few dozen LOs, they're cutting down the amount of time they're spending on payroll significantly. Um, you know, it's just a matter of identifying all of those shops and we're at a weird spot. Like, you know, I want to be able to offer this product to every mortgage broker, whether you are a solo operator and you just want some data analytics and help you with accounting all the way up to, you know, our largest client right now is, I think has a little over a hundred LOs. So, you know, obviously they have completely different needs where they need that commission calculation or reporting, whereas a solo shop doesn't need that module. So, you know, what we're looking to build is kind of those, uh, custom tailored solutions, whether you're a one man band or you got a thousand out. Do you ever see this going up to a size like, uh, like an edge, a C2, a Nexa? You mean as far as what the software can support? Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, like, like yeah. This, you know, you'd talk to your kind of your upper end currently is about a hundred LOs in, in an organization. Do you, do you see yourself kind of getting this to the point where you're able to take a, a client on that's in the thousands? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, there are, are very small number of broker shops that have reached that level. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, and what I find that what those shops do is they'll, you know, they have the resources to go out and spend a couple hundred thousand dollars to have somebody develop something for, for them. Sure. They're just not interested in selling it to anybody else, yeah. but they just want a more, they don't want to start a technology company. They want to, they want to grow a mortgage brokerage and those guys do that very well. And I quickly learned that I didn't want to do that. Um, you know, after I started Epic Lending, I'd rather keep it where I'm at, you know, about 25 LOs that are, you know, maintain our culture, uh, you know, very low maintenance, all of that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm very happy and lucky with, with what I have and I don't want to mess with a good thing. So, <laughs> so yeah, I'll let those go, guys that, market, that are very good at recruiting. Try to grow. I mean, I, I agree with you, man. It's, you know, uh, the quality, if you're, if you find 25 people that are great, the, you know, it's a very different vibe from that going to we're just trying to get anybody we can licensed. We're going for volume. It's like, it's a night and day, Uh, you know, and it's a successful business model for those that work it. Well, I'm not, I'm not here to talk crap. Absolutely. It can't work, but um, it takes a certain type of personality to be able to manage that. It's like herding cats at times, you know, and it's like, you got to have a a level of patience or or something. Uh, So I, I, I can, I can understand your desire to keep it small. Um, well, that's cool. What What are some of the other uh, points of friction that you've kind of identified on this journey that you either think Epic OS could solve in the future or that somebody needs to solve for brokers? That can work yeah, for so, yeah, so right now we are focused on the data analytics aspect of it. I think data is extremely important and very underrated. Um, you don't know how to steer the ship of your business if you don't know what's ahead of you. Um, and there's really no way to do that again, unless you are very good with spreadsheets, you know, all these fancy formulas, all of that kind of stuff. So we are building out with, you know, everything that Epic OS is built from scratch, it's not on anything else. It's not built on Salesforce, which our industry has an unhealthy obsession with. I'm not really sure why. I don't know why um, either, man. I mean, Salesforce that, is overpriced. That, it's, it's powerful. I'm not going to talk shit about it, but. Yeah. Um, man, you got to have deep pockets and patience and, uh, you know, I, you could easily build something yourself for cheaper. If you, if you, if you got the patience to be able to go through that process, you probably have about the amount of patience necessary to just start a software company. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that was kind of my thing. Like, and they, you know, if you're building a software company, what what you it's like a hundred dollars a month per person or something like that i think so you've got a you know let's say you offer at the same price i do for epic os today 200 bucks a month 50 percent of your 
margin is going straight to Salesforce. Yeah. And then you got to make up that other 50% with a, you know, we're in the Microsoft Service program. We're not even paying for Azure right now. So I'm not even paying for hosting for my, for our app. Um, and we get Power BI for free, which is what we're going to build in there for the That's data cool. analytics. You know, th- th- these large companies do all sorts of really cool things to help people start businesses. So I'm capturing, you know, virtually a hundred percent of the, the margin because I don't have to pay some, you know, um, framework to, to, to do all that. So yeah, we, we built everything back to what I was, you know, um, getting at was that we're going to do power Microsoft power BI. It's what we're going to use for the data analytics. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Microsoft owns a good chunk of open AI, the company that, um, owns and operates chat GPT. So Microsoft is probably in the lead in terms of building AI into their entire ecosystem. So power BI included, you can literally after it's all built out, you have your data model all properly configured from all of your different sources. You can literally type in in the Q the Q and A box. What give me a breakdown of all of my loans I closed in two thousand two by mortgage loan type, and it'll literally give you you know the volume, the units, and all that kind of stuff. Give cool. you that report. So for those of you the brokers and owners out there, when you're doing a renewal, they ask you what your volume composition is. You can do that just like you know, snap the finger, just type it in, you know, chat GPT style, and it'll give you that. So between that and all sorts of cool visualizations of your performance forecasting for your, you know, from a finance standpoint. So, you know, in arrive, you've got your estimated closing date and it's approved condition status. We know how much revenue and the loan officer commission that's going to be coming out of that. You can predict your profitability, you know, 30, 60, 90, 120 days down the road, um, all automatically. Those we are constantly refreshing your data from what are some of the arrive. Most important, um, uh, analytic points that you feel brokers need to have their eye on that maybe they don't. Like you know, because obviously I'm big on data too. I mean, as as a marketer, that's like if you're not into data, what are you doing? You know, it's it should be data driven. Um, so I I'm very much similar to you, but from an origination standpoint, right? The marketing analytics kind of stop at the point of pre approval. Um, so I'm curious what you feel are, are, are the most relevant uh, data points that people need to have their eye on. Yeah. So for me, you know, if I was an originator, I would be focused all on kind of, and we do long-term envision to put this in the platform, but it's very, very, very expensive is all that market market driven analytics. So, you know, the companies like MMI out there, um, then you've also have, uh, my home IQ is just, I think this month or last month they're launching their intelligence, um, platform where you can literally log in, um, you know, identify a loan officer or a agent. It breaks down your five year history with them. It'll identify, you know, additional, uh, opportunities. Um, you know, so for, it can certainly help from a marketing um, aspect. And then for the broker owner side of things, it's really measuring all of the, like, where can you improve in your, in your business? Like, can you easily measure how fast you're closing loans um, outside of UWM? Cause they do it for you. Um, <laughs> um, so, and be able to, to filter that by lender, like, how fast are we closing with this lender? How fast are we closing with that? Lender? Which of my which which of my loan officers are slow, and which ones are fast? Which ones um, are profitable? Which ones are not? Like, can you really easily, without a lot of work, be able to measure all of this stuff within seconds? I'd be curious if, and I would venture to say then. 99% of broker shops cannot do that. Yeah, I'd be curious in your uh, experience, and maybe this is something you guys are thinking about at, at Epic OS, or, or maybe it's something that you have, or I guess maybe you haven't thought about, but I'd imagine there's a strong case to measure profitability per loan type 
and even get as granular per loan type per per originator um, to see really where you're at. Is that do you feel like there's a sufficient enough variance in profitability for a brokerage per per product type to to be actually not for not really for product type um, because if you're a compliant shop you should have the same margin across the board um, because if you don't, you're opening yourself up to an unnecessary amount of risk. If you were a retail shop, obviously that's kind of the dirty little secret of our industry. Some that I've our PLs on the backs of veterans and the underserved um, is just, it's kind of the model, you know, you you have a 250, 300 bit margin on conventional. So you can, you know, screw over your government borrowers with 400, 500 bit margins mm-hmm. and it all kind of blends together, you know, um, in the broker shop, that's not supposed to be possible. And that's why our pricing is typically so much better on government loans than, than, uh, than retailers. That makes sense. Well, so th- there is a disparagement though, if somebody like, let's say you're doing a DPA, right? Like th- that, that obviously is going to be a lower margin. Uh, yeah. And they, Exactly. And there's been like, I know that I believe it's the CFBB put out um, kind of guidance on that. And they were like, we really don't, we really don't care. Like it's technically still a violation of LO comp even on a bond loan to pay less. That being said, it seems like pretty much everybody in the company does do it that way. So, you know, it's one of those things where it's a, everybody's breaking the law, but it's not enforced. Well, I mean, they're they're breaking the law in a way that it sounds like in that situation is good for the consumer. Is that why the CFPB is not really worried about it? I, I believe so. Yeah, and they're kind of their focus is really on fair lending type of things. That's why you're seeing all those articles about there out there with um, you know appraisal bias of um, you know value seeing. Uh, lower with minorities than 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 they are with white people and and, and things like that. Those, those are the kind of things that they're focused on. You might have see if you've been fighting a mortgage broker from Illinois for like three four years now because he went on a podcast just like this and said, um, you know, he basically he basically redlined an entire community really? <laughs> on on a podcast based on kind of what he said. It's like personal beliefs, so to speak, um, you know, they're going, they're going after things like that. They don't seem to care about things like LO comp and, and, and other things that I feel like they should be focusing on, but they're not. And then you also have the complication of, you know, what the CFPB wants and then what the States wants, the States want. And they often don't talk well with each other. Um, so like, you know, a lot of people feel that they're safe to pay their loan officers 1099 because their state doesn't have a stance on it, or they say, they explicitly say the 1099 is okay, completely disregarding that you could be violating a federal law. And who I'm most scared of is the IRS, right. uh, at the end of the day, because if you don't, if you're not meeting the IRS's definition of an independent contractor, you're not an independent contractor. Right. Um, and that is a very fast way of uh, going out of business as a mortgage brokerage. And there's precedent for that as well. It's happened in the past. Um, and with their eight, armed with their 87,000 new agents or whatever, I'm not going to try to play with them. What's your fear of the IRS? And square up. Part, part what drove you to Puerto Rico? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that is quite preference. If I if 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 I if I had a week, if I I hate to you know pay pay less taxes, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna do that. Well, you're you're uh, it's, for it's sure. not about paying less taxes, Evan. It's about paying the appropriate amount of taxes for your specific situation. There you go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, I love it. Okay. Well, um, you know, uh, what would just in your experience as a broker and now on the tech side, what is either kind of a, a positive message of hope or maybe an action item that you would want to give to originators that are listening to this podcast? My, you know, I've kind of said this in pretty much every podcast I've done and an interview that I, that I've been a part of is that if you, I know that there's a lot of people out there like I am that have, probably from a very young age, 
have that entrepreneurial spirit and want to start their own business, but they're afraid to. They don't want to take the risk. They don't. They're, they feel overwhelmed with everything that they want to do. And my message to them is always, and maybe this isn't so positive, but I think it should be thought of it in a positive way is that you're always going to regret not trying something later than trying it and failing. There, it's okay to fail. Like, you know, I've started. You know, before we started this, it's, you know, we mentioned the title company that I, that I tried launching and I don't want to say that it necessarily failed, but you know, my, my, I realized it's just not really a focus that I should be putting my attention into. Um, and I couldn't find a person to really, um, you know, take the reins of that and grow that business. So I'm basically just phasing it out. So. Um, I tried it. I thought that we could do it well. We didn't do it well. It's just that we didn't really have a good business development strategy in mind, and I couldn't focus on that. So we're just letting that go. Um, and, you know, I learned a lot from that experience and, you know, um, kind of spreading myself too thin. Uh, so, but I don't regret it whatsoever. So right. it's everything to me is a learning experience and don't not do something just because you're afraid of the risk, I guess. So it's because the risk isn't as much as you think it is. Um, there's a lot of misinformation out there, especially if you're in a retail channel of what's, you know, what's fed to you by your managers. Cause sure. obviously they're going to say anything and keep you going and becoming independent. So, um, you know, trust all of the people who have come over to this side and, most of them haven't gone back. There's only that handful that have. So, um, you know, I, I, I feel that the originator, you know, should be independent. I mean, you should, you should be able to decide what lender to send your loans to. You should be able to have that freedom, um, to, uh, you know, make lenders compete for your business and not work for one lender that, you know, um, can jack up your margin at any time and you're just forced to sell their products, their pricing. You can have it all in the broker channel, in my opinion. So that would probably be my advice to really any originator, you know, whether you're going to start your own shop or, you know, I think that you should join the broker channel, you know, working for somebody else, ideally before you start your own company as well, just because it's tough to, I did that and it was, it was a little tough learning all oh, that yeah. stuff at once. I'm like, what? What the hell is borrower paid cops? Right, right, right. All the nuances uh, of getting that. Exactly. Yeah, that's that, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's a great piece of advice. Um, it, it reminds me of uh, when I was in the insurance space, I, I was what they call captive uh, uh, before I went independent. And, and, and I remember feeling a sense of resentment when it finally clicked to me. And this took me a long time for this to click. How the hell did we ever accept a situation where we where we identify as cap like yeah we don't use that terminology in the broker channel or in the mortgage often but it's literally the same thing the, the insurance industry is exactly the same way because you could if you work for like a liberty mutual it's just like working for a movement or a fairway it's the same exact concept whereas and then you even get you get like the quasi independent, like I guess like the gooseheads of yeah, the world. Yeah. And then you get your true, you get your true, you get your true independence of you know controlling your own brand. And, and you know, ideally, you can sign up directly to the carriers and not have to use you know some kind of middleman, all of that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of parallels I've found in the insurance industry to, to oh, mortgages so, more so, so than people might think. And it's interesting how, you know, you use the word independent and that's, you know, the, it, they're independent brokers in the insurance world too. And uh, I'm just like, who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want independence? Like what do, you know, and I'm not, there's some great, there's some great retail shops out there. So I'm, it's hard because it's like, I'm, I'm not trying to talk shit about them as a company, but the model is kind of wrecked, right? It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a dinosaur, it's a dinosaur model. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's probably an angle in the future where those companies who aren't independent uh, in a way, I, I, I could see uh, kind of a blend where it's in their best interest in everybody's best interest for them to have kind of more wholesale access where they're getting a smaller piece of the pie, but now they're getting a larger piece of market share. 
um, you know, uh, I, I think that there's probably something there that where there's a necessary evolution as because brokers will, from what I can gather uh, from from just my exposure in this industry, helping currently hundreds of, of originators, um, some retail, some some broker. And uh, I think that it's going to be inevitable, man. Brokers are becoming more and more popular with every day, you know, and, and, and it's probably not happening as fast as a lot of people were anticipating or hoping. But the broker channel is definitely becoming alive, um, and it's cool to see. Yeah, and that's that's yeah, then that's that that trend has been happening for the better part of the last five years or so um, of that rejuvenation of the channel. And um, yeah, I mean, it was as low. I think the market share was as low as seven percent at some point. Now it's over. Now it's over. Now it's back over twenty. And I believe over the next few years, we can start to approach 30, 40% again. Um, and yeah, I think it's inevitable. Mortgages, to me, I think mortgages are getting easier to do. You're getting more and more of the, you know, if, if you're a smart originator, you're leveraging day one certainty, you might get appraisal labor. You can literally do a purchase with a, a agreement of sale um, and like a driver's license. And that's, that's it. Oh yeah, the the pro the process <laughs> and the product is going to become continually more commoditized. I think the differentiation comes where people leverage they they start to build and leverage their actual personal brand. You know, it's 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 really the difference between um, a Tesla that has an Elon versus I mean name name a competitor of Tesla. They exist, nobody knows them, right? It's like there's a main difference because he was able to leverage that personal brand and and uh, I mean obviously it's a different scale. But I, I think that that's really going to be the future is the originators that focus on the relationship, not the product, because the product will kind of sort itself out. I mean, you know, you talk about even underwriters, like I feel like the writing is on the wall. Like you talk about AI, you could probably, with current technology, train a pretty damn good underwriter through AI. And there, and there are shops that are doing a pretty good job of... Maybe not necessarily right now with underwriters, but you definitely have where a human used to be like indexing files or, you know, through OCR, like pulling the numbers, like you don't have a human actually get. So there's certain elements of that transaction now that are all be, you know, that are completely systemized. And I do think underwriters are next. Obviously that starts to get into the, you know, um, the delicate areas is dealing with the government and the agencies and all of that. But the agencies, I, in my opinion, you know, while we may not think are, are moving, I feel like they're moving faster than a lot of mortgage companies are nowadays where they're experimenting with pilot programs. You know, you got things out there where you can link your bank account over the last 12 months. And if you work in the gig economy, you can get credited for, you know, your DoorDash right. income instead of having to wait two years to prove that, you know, Schedule C or whatever. So um, you can get that kind of cash flow analysis automatically just, just running in the U.S. And you're starting more and more of that where mortgages are going to go closer and closer to completely docu dockless, uh, you know, over time. Well, and, and, and I mean, you know, sure. the, the legislation obviously is a whole separate argument, but from a technological standpoint, just knowing what I know about AI and technology as a whole, I think that it, I mean, you know, you give me or you a week with it. I think we could do a pretty, you know, bang up job of, of, you know, having an automated under, like a truly automated underwriting, uh, uh, you know, that's incredibly accurate and, and fair and comprehensive. Um, so it will be interesting to see the, the future of this. Uh, Evan, uh, before we close, one one final question. I always like to ask every guest I have on. What is uh, a book that you've read in recent years or months that you feel, and, and by read could also be an audio book, that you feel was transformative that, that you would recommend to, to our audience? You know, I'm terrible. I, I am not as diligent of a book reader as I should be. Um, I am one of those like fanatic researchers. So I read a lot, just not necessarily a book. And it's something that I really need to, you know, obviously start doing more of okay. to, to, so, for so like a mindset shift. So what I will say, what I will say, the next book that I am going to read is Atomic Habits. Nice. 
because I've gotten so much positive feedback about that book. I don't know if that's cliche at this point because everybody talks about that book, but I've heard that I can get takeaways out of that uh, no matter what. So that, that, that will, and I'll make that commitment that I'll, the I'll start reading that. By, well, what is a resource? You there you go. read a lot of resources. It sounds like what's, what's a resource that you feel maybe people in the industry should be paying attention to? You know, honestly, I don't really have any kind of specifics. I, I read a little bit of everything and that, that, really goes for when I'm reading about politics stuff too. Like I don't, I, I, I like to keep an open mind no matter what. So like, you know, that's why I, you know, I'm like, how can you watch, you know, like Fox news or MSNBC with like their slant, like yeah. they're clearly biased, right. like read a little bit of everything and then come up with your own opinion and, and don't follow the herd, I guess would probably be my, um, uh, you know, suggestion. I remember there's the guy I, I won't name names, but if he happens to l- listen to this, this is a shout out to him. But I remember in, in a very small face, you know, mortgage law officer Facebook group uh, I'm a part of. Uh, he were calling us a bunch. He was calling us a bunch of sheep because, like, we would tend to have this like kind of tribalistic, um, you know, mentality. And just not looking at the full picture and just like following this one like kind of idea. It's like use some critical thinking and make up your own mind and 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 don't just follow somebody because you think that they're I don't know. Nobody's we all put our hands on the same way every day, you yeah. know? <laughs> so um just be an independent thinker, I guess. And I guess even that kind of has a negative connotation nowadays when you say that, but um, you should be independent in your thinking for sure would be my suggestion. So, you know, I read a lot of different things, you know, I, I subscribe to MBS live for kind of the market, uh, analytics, you know, a lot of people follow, you know, do yes, way as well. Um, you know, so you got all of that kind of insights that are important and this one's so important, which is read your guidelines, you know, subscribe to the FHA mortgage e-letters so you get the you get them you know in the first release VA circulars Fannie Mae selling guide updates like all that kind of stuff know your craft like yeah you know Presley I know you're the you got you're the marketing lead gen guy but like there's a lot more to being loan officer than just you know lead gen and marketing obviously you sure. need that business but you got to be able to talk like a, back in the beginning of this podcast you got to be able to talk confidently about your product and and be that true expert, re- you know, that's what's going to keep you in this business. And I don't think technology can very easily replace is being that true advisor and guide for somebody that is really nervous. And that's why we're lucky is that consumers don't really trust technology when it comes to buying a home. Like they want people to be experts and they're still a lot of lack of experts in our industry. Like, you know, you've got, you've got that perpetual part-time people that don't really know what they're doing involved in the process on both sides of the transaction, whether that's a retail realtor or, or the loan officer, like continue to set yourself apart and write that, you know, um, Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V's perfect example, just like constant, constant, content. Like, you know, maybe you don't have to put 30 things out that I think he suggested it at one of the aim fuse conferences that he, that he spoke at. Um, but you know, content is king and I'm guilty of that too. Like I need to be doing more content. That's why, you know, people ask me to do a podcast. I'll make sure right, it's awesome. It forces me to get on and, and talk about things yeah. and, and make cards and, and Hey, people find me through it all the time. Um, you know, um, and I get messages from like recording testimony videos from four, four years ago. Like, Hey, I saw you talking about leap ops, you know, and, and, you know, give me more, you know, insight into what you talked about in the video or something like that. And, um, you know, pe- believe it or not, people do consume all that content sure. and I'm surprised all the time. Yeah, that's great. So, so the resource, the resources that you would personally recommend from your experience are actually, uh, I would say less conventional, but, but common, I mean, I would totally agree with your recommendation, uh, resources like an MBS live and MBS highway, or, or even as simple as the guidelines, which, um, yeah, I think that's a, that's a healthy recommendation. <laughs> that's great. 
Awesome, man. You you would you would think that that's uh, that's pretty uh, obvious uh, or goes without saying, but um, it's not. <laughs> I still see all the time the most elementary of questions on social media that people ask about the business that they should know or could have just been an easy Google search away. Yeah, Google still seems to be a very underrated uh, tool nowadays. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, if gu- I didn't know guidelines were easily Googleable, but if that's the case, there's really no excuses. Especially Fannie and Freddie, it's all indexed on on on. You can you can type in anything in Fannie Mae. Wow. Um, say you know what uh, rental income Fannie Mae. All the guidelines for Fannie Mae conventional loan on uh, on rental income right there. Public fingertips. Dang. Well, if that's the case, it's definitely a matter of time before AI does all this really well. <laughs> This is true. Uh, <laughs> this awesome. is well, true. Evan, thank you so much for joining us on the Lens Setter Show. It's been a pleasure uh, talking about this with you. I'm excited to see what you do with Epic OS. And, and uh, you know, I think it's cool that you're using your own platform through Epic Lending to to, to flesh this out. And, and you know, I just as a, as a former uh, a co-founder of a software company, I know I know how much goes into that. And it's um, it's un, it's unsexy. It's un uh, it's honestly not sufficiently appreciated because it's it's uh, it's it's an uphill climb, and especially when you're self-funded. We were bootstrapped as well. Um, you know, I, I know how much that can uh, you know you put your blood, sweat, and tears and a lot of your money into it, and uh, people just don't tend to to understand all of what goes into that. So um, just want to you know, real recognize real. I, I hope that uh, you know, I hope that that uh, you know ends up being everything you want it to be. And if I can ever uh, be of support uh, in your journey on that, let me know. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me again, Preston. Awesome. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks, and uh, we'll see you guys on the next episode.